Amen. It's so good to actually say we're together and not online. It's good to be here and to see half of your faces, some, most of your faces. You get to see all of my face, and for that, I apologize. But it's good to be back and to look together at God's word and to share elbow bumps and, and to worship. And I, I just want to dive right into where we'll be this morning. Luke 11, 37 to 45. It's obvious our world is in upheaval. Partly because these are the birth pangs of the new creation, of us waiting for the new creation. Where Jesus will wipe away every tear where every injustice will be vindicated and where every wrong will be made right. But how should we think until then? How should we think, feel, and do? And I'm gonna use that kind of trivium, that triplet all throughout the message this morning of thinking, feeling, and doing. I think that is kind of the reaction of a fully formed, fully orbed Christian life. How do we think about this event, any event, how should we feel about this event? And now how should we respond? How should we do? How should we act? So when we see injustice in the world, how should we think? How should we feel? How should we do until the Lord descends? Well, to only do that, we must look to our Jewish Messiah who is the Lord of all and what he has to say and to look at his word and, and learn how he wants us to think and feel and respond. So in Luke 11, Beginning in verse 37, as we jump into Luke, here, here's what we've seen up to this point in the context. Jesus has been teaching the crowds. He just teaches his famous parable of the Good Samaritan. And a Pharisee invites Jesus over for a bite to eat. And if you're not familiar with the Pharisees, they are the religious elite. They think they have it all figured out. They're there to lecture everyone else. They think they are the standard of true religion. But as you see throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees are actually the ones who are not tuned in to the true kingdom of God, but only their version of it. And we see the Pharisees, they're actually, this whole, the whole time now throughout the Gospels, are plotting against Jesus uh, since he's really started his ministry. And shockingly, beginning in verse 37, a Pharisee invites Jesus over for a bite to eat. A wild turn of events. And now we can drop in to their conversation. So let's read from God's word. And if you're able and desire, let's stand together in honor of reading of the words of Christ. And beginning in verse 37, our brother Luke tells us by the power of the spirit that Jesus, as he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. That this is an extra biblical command um, that the Pharisees installed that you had to do just a ritual washing. This wasn't even hand sanitizer, COVID washing. This is just, this is symbolic. And Jesus, it's not in the law. Jesus says, I don't need to do that. I don't have any sin to be ritually cleansed of. I don't need to do that. So Jesus doesn't do it. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools, didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. And here's our main verse this morning. But woe to you, Pharisees. 
You give a tenth of mint and rue and every kind of herb and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues and greeting in the marketplaces, telling them you guys love to look religious, but woe to you. You are like unmarked graves that people who walk over them and don't know it, meaning you make people unclean before God and they don't even realize how dangerous you are. 45, last verse. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. And if you have a physical Bible, you can see Jesus views that to be an irrelevant statement. He says in verse 46, woe also to you, experts in the law. You may be seated. By now, I, I hope you know the mission statement of Redeemer Church. Half of it is our website address that you use to register to come here this morning. Our mission is to make disciples and make much of Jesus. To make disciples means for us to live as growing and changing and ever transforming followers of Jesus who are learning to think and feel and do like Jesus in all of life. That's the mission of our church, of every true church of the Lord Jesus. And from the words of Jesus in Luke eleven forty two, what we see is the photo negative. One generation of us will understand that. The other generation will understand this. We see the Instagram reverse coloring filter of what disciples shouldn't be like. You see that. As Jesus, in verse 42, Jesus laments directly to this Pharisee. Lamenting Jesus, he's lamenting his disappointment in the way the Pharisees act and the way the Pharisees try and follow God. And we should hear these woes, which is also in Matthew 23, but we should hear these woes from Jesus as no-nos for disciples. They show us how not to think, how not to feel, and how not to act. So as Jesus rebukes this Pharisee, it serves as a caution for us. Right there in verse 42, what do we see Jesus says is one misstep, one misunderstanding, and one misapplication of true religion? Verse 42, Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees. You give a tenth, you tithe of mint and rue, it's another spice, and every kind of herb. And here's the misstep, here's the misunderstanding, here's the misapplication. And you bypass justice. We should let that sink and hit on us for a second. And you bypass justice. In light of everything that we've seen in our world in these last few weeks, everything that's happening, these words bypass justice, they were really eye-opening to me this, this past week. If you're familiar with the Pharisees, we usually lump them and label them as legalists, right? If, you're, if you act like a Pharisee, you're a, a legalist. If you're a legalist, you're a Pharisee. Or, or you try to earn salvation by works, that's being a Pharisee. Or you're showing off your true religion, that's acting like a Pharisee. And that's all true. But what else do we see 
is true about Pharisees. They bypass justice. They belittle justice. It's small to them. It's of no concern to them. So what I learned just from this verse this week is that being a legalist isn't the only way to act like a Pharisee. Not caring about justice is another way to act like a Pharisee too. And Pharisees don't care about justice for one simple reason in the first century. Because when injustice would happen, it didn't affect them. The Pharisees were in a position of privilege. The Pharisees were in a position of power. The Pharisees were in a position of prestige. And so when someone from a different social category someone from a different economic category or someone from a different ethnic background was treated unfairly or abused or taken advantage of or exploited, it didn't register on their heart because as Jesus tells them, you weren't really loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells the Pharisee over a meal in his house. He's in Jesus's, you gotta get the, the scene in, his, in your mind. Jesus is at dinner with this man and other Pharisees in this guy's house. And Jesus tells him, you downplay justice, friend. I'm glad you tithe. You can see Jesus says, I'm glad you tithe on your mint and your rue and every kind of herb. You should have done those things and not bypassed justice and not ignored the restorative justice of God. So beloved, what does this show us about the heart of Jesus? What do we see about the heart of Jesus in verse 42? It's that Jesus loves justice. Jesus is for justice. Jesus is against all injustice and we must imitate Christ. The Lord says, you can see it on the screen in Isaiah 61.8, or if you're taking notes at home or you can flip around at home, Isaiah 61.8, the Lord says, for I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. Luke 11.42 is the animation of Christ's heart on display out of Isaiah 61. I think if Jesus shared this verse on Facebook, he would be accused of hating police, of being a Marxist, and other slanderous things. And I say that because Jesus doesn't politicize anything. And that's one of the biggest dangers I think I see in uh, the American evangelical church is political idolatry, finding more identity in our politics than we do in the kingdom. We should not politicize anything that we see. We should biblicize the things we see. What do the scriptures teach us? What, what does our Jewish Messiah tell us to think and to feel and to do? It's possible to call for justice and not mean all cops are bad. Of course all cops are not bad. There are amazing officers in our church. I was just talking with one. You can think it's right to protest and also think it's wrong to loot and riot. The Lord hates robbery and injustice. So, so please hear me, church. I, I want to plead with us, to plead with us to 
process how we think, how we feel, and how we act as we see injustice happen in the world. That we would think and feel and act according to God's word. And this is where we gotta begin. Number one, what does God say about injustice in the world? First, some people deny that there is injustice in the world, but according to Jesus, it exists. According to the Lord in Isaiah 61, from the mouth of the prophet and the times of Uzziah, he says the Lord hates injustice, so injustice exists in our world. And I referenced it, but we're here in Luke 11. The story right before in Luke 10 that initiated this conversation with these Pharisees is the parable of the Good Samaritan where a man, a Jewish man, is beaten, left for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus says, a Levite who should have helped, bypassed. A priest who should have helped this man, bypassed him. But a Samaritan, the ethnic group that was abused and mistreated in first century Israel, stepped in and loved this man and gave this man restorative justice. If Jesus were telling this parable today, in June 2020, in North America, he would say, there's a white police officer beaten up on the side of the road. Blue eyes, blonde hair, white as could be. And a Republican passed by on the other side. And then a Democrat passed by on the other side. But it was a black man on welfare who helped him. Brothers and sisters, God hates injustice. And so should we. That's the reflex of Jesus. That's the second thing that Jesus is addressing from Luke eleven forty two, 42 and all throughout the scriptures that to really not bypass justice will mean that our voices are raised, that every follower of Christ, we have a role to play. We can't bypass it. Jesus calls out injustice. Isaiah calls out injustice. And Proverbs 31 the Lord commands us. Look at Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. The words of King Lemuel in Proverbs 31, he says, speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. So this means for us today, if you are an apprentice of Jesus, we speak for those who can't breathe. We call for justice. We speak up for making a wrong to see it made as right as possible on this side of the one descending on a white horse. We speak up for wrongdoers to be held accountable. And, and to not bypass justice like the Pharisees, it will mean that we enter into it. We enter into the work of restorative justice. This is what this word means, of lifting up those who have been pushed down, of relieving those who have been oppressed, those who have been mistreated, stepping in and saying, this is wrong. I can just give you one example. I mean, I know our church is predominantly white. We do have a few families of ethnic minorities, but an African-American friend of mine told me that his father, not his grandfather, his father, still keeps his money in the freezer of their house. Because when he was a young man, starting to earn a living, the bank tellers stole from him because he didn't know how to read. I mean, this is after civil rights. This is after Jim Crow 
has been abolished. And because this black man didn't know how to read, the teller stole from him. Is it theft? Yes. And that's also injustice. That's exploitation. And what we must realize is that there are differing weights and scales in our society, how different ethnicities and minorities are treated, and it's unjust. As Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 20, 23, that differing weights are detestable to the Lord. And dishonest scales are unfair. We can't politicize what we see in our world. We must biblicize it. And so whoever has ears to hear, guys, I, I just know, I know some of you are, have heard what I've been saying and I've heard what I'm saying now and it's resonating and, and, and you're hearing what Jesus and Isaiah and uh, the Proverbs are saying um, and you're eager and you're ready to hear. And I know others, you, 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 just, you cringed when I walked up, you, you saw the title of the sermon, you didn't want to hear it. Um, so whoever has the ears to hear, Please hear what one of your pastors is saying. Speaking against injustice, and a particular injustice right in front of us, is a part of being a Christian. It is a part of being an authentic follower of Jesus. You saw what Jesus told the Pharisees in Luke eleven forty two. You can see you can see it again. It is not enough to have the other attributes, to have even aggressive tithing on our spice racks. It's not enough. It's not enough to have an authentic following with God. Jesus says, you bypassed justice. You missed justice. You neglected it. And Jesus is saying, that's not my heart. That's not my way. So for us, it's not enough that we read our Bibles, that we sing, and, and now we can come to church and enjoy our lives together. That's not being a fully formed disciple of Jesus. And then to ignore justice, to ignore injustice. To do all the rest and to bypass justice is not being a fully formed follower of Christ. And so you might be thinking internally, so am I not living a fully formed Christ life then if I don't care about justice and I don't care about injustice? Jesus would reply, what you have said is true, but I'm ready to lead you there. I'm ready to show you the way. And I think one reason why some of us knee-jerk so much to calls for justice because we feel lost. We, we, we feel like I haven't done enough. We, we feel like I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And, and we, we truly, and we don't even know anybody with an ethnic different ethnic background than us. And, and we maybe feel like, well, I, if I confront racist thoughts and tendencies, and then that might mean I'm a racist. And I, I don't want to address those things. We, we're scared to humble ourselves and go, this might be sin I, I need to repent of. None of us, me included, none, none of us are following Jesus to the fullest yet. We all have areas we, we need to grow in and, and walk in. So the question that lies before us are we willing to follow Jesus through this? To learn from Jesus how to respond to injustice. And we must be gracious with each other and kind. 
and compassionate as we learn to, to walk through these things. But hear me loud, loud and clear, loud and clear, hear me. Being gracious with one another doesn't mean we don't rebuke racism. That is a misnomer. One of my black author friends put on Twitter, she says, sometimes people will come to me and say, I'm a safe space to share my thoughts with you. And she said, you are welcome, but I will rebuke you. That is, being a safe place doesn't mean we can just say racist things and have racist stereotypes and go, oh, you know what I mean. Like, I'll never forget when one of my wife's kind of colleagues and somebody she knew was complaining to her about the HEB here in Tomball. She said, this woman said to Natalie, I hate going to that HEB. There's so many Mexicans there. And I'm half Mexican. My mother's from Mexico. This is a white Christian woman that if I said her name, a lot of you would probably maybe know it. And Natalie confronted her. That's racist. My kids are part Mexican. How dare you? Oh, you know what I mean. I think I do know what you mean, and I think I don't know what you mean. We, being gracious with one another doesn't mean we don't say, whoa, whoa, that's, that's racist. Because as easy as it is for us to say, getting drunk is wrong, stealing is wrong, lying is wrong, it should be just as easy for us to say racism is wrong, bypassing injustice is wrong. Because let's remember what the shared mission of our church is. It is to be disciples of Jesus. And as easy as it is for me to say, don't look at that on the internet. Don't, don't engage in lust. It's just as easy for me to say, that's injustice. And so the question before all of us, me included, will be, will I follow Jesus in matters of injustice or will I follow the logic of Fox News or CNN? Where will you learn your talking points from? Where will you get your worldview? Watch whatever news network you want. Watch whatever news personality you enjoy. But I want to tell you, please, for the love of God and neighbor, listen to Jesus and Moses and Paul and Solomon more than Hannity, Don Lemon, and Matt Walsh. Because beloved, if you take in three to five hours of news media and articles and YouTube every day and only 20 to 30 minutes a week or a month of God's word, you will not learn how to think and feel and act in matters of justice the way Jesus desires. We must learn to act more like Christians than one version of an American. There isn't just one version. There's many versions of being an American. And our job as a church of the risen Lord Jesus is not to conform you into any mold of an American, but to make you a disciple of Jesus who was born in the Middle East. And we are citizens of our country best when we think, feel, and act like Jesus. Because it's clear our country does not have the resources and tools to love one another. But the church does. The church does. This is what we saw throughout church history. As Justin Martyr says, 
writing in the second century, he says, we used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Racism isn't new to the United States. It's there in the Roman Empire. It's, it's all throughout the world in every time, nation, and place. But look what Justin Martyr says. We refuse to associate with people of another race or country, but now because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Sometimes what can happen, and Justin's, he's not saying what some of us might think he's saying, that yeah, we, can, we have great relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ of different ethnic backgrounds. That's not what he's saying. He's saying all people of every race, whether they're a believer or not, they are still treated with dignity and love and respect because they're made in God's image. So to love God and neighbor, to, to live out the true Christianity means our black neighbor, our cop neighbor, our immigrant neighbor, our Democrat neighbor, our Republican neighbor, our Muslim neighbor, our orphan neighbor, our elderly neighbor, our single mother neighbor. That's Christianity. And we can't bypass justice for anyone made in God's image. This is why Christians, we should have no problem saying black lives matter. I think it, Christians must say that. It's, it's true. Black Lives Matter. We can affirm that. Now hear me. I do not support or align with the values of the Black Lives Matter organization. Not at all. I don't identify, support that organization to at any extent. But that sentence is true. And you already practice this in your life. If you're a follower of Christ, you also don't align with the values of Starbucks Incorporated but we're chugging that coffee. We don't align with the bathroom policies of Target. And we're buying that hearth and home though. We already know we can do this in our lives, that we can engage, we can agree with what we can agree, and then we can spit out the bones of what we don't agree with. So the statement is true that black lives matter. God made them. God loves them. They're made in God's image. And so we should say yes. And it's, I, I just don't think it's helpful to reply, all lives matter. Of course. And since that's true, there should be no problem in saying black lives matter. Because here, grammar matters. That's going to be my shirt. Grammar matters. Because no one is saying only black lives matter. No one is saying just black lives matter. We're just saying, hey, our black brothers and sisters matter. Black citizens matter too. And I want to be really candid with you. If you feel like I haven't been already. <laughs> My jaw has dropped over some of the things I've seen posted on social media by professing Christians and even conversations I've had with people in the church. One person told me what happened to George Floyd was sad, but people die every day. That is to bypass justice. If your sentence starts with what happened to George was sad, but there is no but. 
When that word gets introduced, it's an attempt to bypass and belittle the pursuit of justice. But he was this, but he was that, but this was in his system, but he has this background. That didn't warn him getting killed on the streets without due process, without a power of attorney, without everything else that is afforded to an American citizen. There is no but. That's not the heart of Jesus. That's to bypass justice. Another person in the church told me, Jeff, stop talking about this kind of stuff and just preach the gospel. That's all we need from you. How come no one told me that when I've preached on abortion? How come no one told me that when we all went and protested outside of Planned Parenthood saying unborn lives matter? Or when I've preached on adoption or when I've preached on orphans. No one told me to stop talking about those things. That's revealing of our hearts. It's an attempt to bypass justice and to not see that these events, these are the exact kind of thing that Jesus wants us to talk about, wants us to see how the gospel connects to all of life, discipleship with Jesus to all of life. We need the roots of the gospel and the fruits that the gospel brings in our lives. That's how we make disciples and make much of Jesus. It will be uncomfortable. When have, why would we ever think carrying our cross would be comfortable? Some of us will need to die to politics more. Some of us will need to die to racist tendencies more. And maybe some of you today are thinking, I'm insulted by what's being said. Luke 12, 42 and 45, I'm insulted by what's being said. Well, woe to us then. May God show us all the state of our hearts. Because listen, church, at the heart of our faith is an act of injustice that was restored, rectified, and made right. Jesus Christ is the righteous son of God, the holy one, innocent, killed at the hands of Roman soldiers, literally as he says on the cross, I can't breathe. And he is processed through an unjust court, has false allegations thrown on him. He is this, he is this, he is this. And he was crucified for our sins, our crimes. He did nothing wrong. He was innocent, but he died as a criminal. But you know what God did? Because God loves justice. The father raised his son from the dead because he's innocent. And he can't stay dead because it wouldn't be right for my son to stay dead. The resurrection is an act of God righting an injustice against the Son of God, raising him from the dead, restoring him to life, and giving him the name above every name that everyone should bow and worship and follow him forever. And if we love that for our eternity, we must love it for our lives now and practice the rhythm of resurrection, striving for justice, because it's at the heart of God. It's, it's what he wants. It's at, the, it's at the center of Easter, a restorative act of God bringing his son justice. It's what God wants, but if we don't want it, 
if we don't want it, the words of Amos come to us. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. May God help us. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us. Help us to not bypass justice and to not turn away, to not continue to swipe down our phones and, and to maybe even ignore the conviction and discomfort that the Spirit is bringing upon us, shining a light on a corner of our lives that needs the light of the world. So Jesus, help us to truly love all of our neighbors, to truly speak up for those who are oppressed, to make phone calls, to learn, to listen, to lament, and to love. We need you now, Lord. Convict us where we need it, Holy Father. May the resurrection be the heartbeat of our pursuit of justice. That we would seek justice and walk humbly with our Lord and seek the welfare of the city where you have placed us. And it's in your name that we pray, King Jesus. Amen.